Hey guys, and welcome back to Leadership on Purpose. I am Blake Bozarth, and this is the show that's designed to help you grow your influence and lead with confidence and with humility. Today, we have another incredible CEO on the show, Alex Comer. He is the founder and CEO of VidMob, which is a super fast-growing company recently valued at nearly $300 million. He's a successful entrepreneur. He talks about what he used to be doing and how he's finding more purpose in his work and mission now. Really compelling. And we're talking about leading in a world of AI, leading in a world of artificial intelligence, automation, machine learning. There's a lot happening in our world with the technology front, on the technology front, that is driving major implications for the future of work. And Alex has been at the forefront of it. He's brilliant and he's humble. I think you're going to love this episode. There's a lot of nuggets that Alex drops. We're going to talk about things like which sectors of the economy will be impacted the most and the quickest by AI. There's a, there's a framework that Alex introduces, he shares with us, that can help you kind of analyze your place and how your work may be impacted. How leaders, ultimately, how can we as leaders put people in a position to win in this new world of artificial intelligence. What, what would that look like? He's doing it with his company, expounds on that. And we also talk about why is it scary, but also why is it healthy to chase this goal of removing your own job? Sounds really scary, but it's actually a really good thing. You'll, you'll, I think you'll appreciate his thoughts there. And he also digs back, digs back into his time in academia to explain why he looks at the expanding universe theory from physics and how he relates that to employee growth and development and expanding the outer bounds of the company. Really good. And he has a great take on why, as a leader, we should focus on serving every person that we hire. Because he says that if we're really doing our job right, they should be able to work anywhere they want, yet they're choosing to work with us. And the way he thinks about that and the legacy that he wants to build in the company is, is pretty incredible. And finally, I think you're going to love his answer to the BHAG question. Quick spoiler, it has to do with 50 miles Yes, a 50-mile race against horses. What the heck? I think you're gonna I think you're gonna enjoy it. There's a lot of great stuff in here. If you get value from this episode, what do we like to say? Be a river, not a reservoir. Who could you share this with that could also get value from it as well and help them grow? And without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right, guys, I'm here today with Alex Colmer. Alex, welcome to Leadership on Purpose. Blake, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for uh, for a little while. Yes, me too. I'm excited to jump into our to our core topic today. Before we do that, though, would you share, Alex, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll give you the abbreviated version because I, I know we've got some exciting things to discuss. But uh, short version is uh, I am an engineer by background. I, I got an engineering degree at Cornell. Uh, I had the um, good fortune of stumbling, you know, fairly hard in college. Uh, I actually left school after my uh, sophomore year yep. because my uh, two professor parents were uh, uninspired by my academic performance, and uh, so I That's decided. A word. Un uninspired. <laughs> uninspired, unimpressed. Uh, there were a number of uh, un things that were going on then. Um, but, uh, you know, I, so I agreed that I would, um, if I wasn't going to you know, do better, that I would, you know, pay my way through school. And so at 19, uh, I, I left and had to figure out how to save up the money to, to pay my tuition and, and sort of, you know, get back after it. 
Uh, and that sort of pushed me down a path of, you know, learning to be an entrepreneur at, at, a, at a young age. Uh, I ended up running a number of businesses on campus, then went back the following year and, and finished my, my engineering degree. Um, and sort of through that, I think a number of things happened. You know, I learned how to probably grow up a bit. Um, I, I learned, you know, what it was like to you know have uh, uh, and sort of hold responsibility. And, and maybe most importantly, I learned, you know, what it felt like to be an entrepreneur and I just was addicted. Um, so, you know, after, you know, sort of working for a software consultancy out of college for a few years, I, I basically, you know, I was at that point realized that I was sort of an incurable <laughs> entrepreneur and, and that there was really the only thing that I could do was, was, was build companies. Uh, and so, you know, I started down that path at that age, I guess, you know, 23, 24, um, before VidMob, I built a, a game publisher, with a, a, a good friend of mine, now a longtime colleague and co-founder of VidMob, a guy named Jason Donnell. Nice. Um, and, you know, that experience, again, and this is, I guess, sort of a recurring theme here, um, you know, had, uh, you know, really, you know, wonderful times. Uh, and, you know, and, and we experienced, you know, real, you know, challenge and struggle. We'd launched a number of pretty big games, had a, you know, big dispute with one of our distributors, uh, spent years fighting over tens of millions of dollars uh, and had to go through the sort of pain of watching a business that I was really proud of, um, you know, uh, sort of go away. Um, and, you know, we kind of, you know, fought through that all the way to you know, sort of, you know, winning, getting our games back, getting the, you know, money that, that we felt we were owed. Um, and was sort of sitting there like staring into the abyss um, and, uh, you know, basically ended up doing a single Indiegogo campaign to raise money to make one more character. Uh, and then that ended up being the biggest, I think, Indiegogo games campaign ever that sort of relaunched the Skullgirls property. Um, and we started in the process of rebuilding that business. Um, and, you know, I, as painful as that whole thing was, um, and as much, as many moments as there were during it, where I really doubted whether I was actually a talented entre entrepreneur, um, I wouldn't trade any of it uh, at all. You know, it ended up being uh, just a truly uh, in incredible experience and, and has now sort of helped position me to be a better leader and, and ultimately to, you know, build VidMob. Uh, so, you know, I kind of found myself in 2014 yeah, on sort of the backs of that experience and sort of realizing that I felt like I was on this planet to do more than try and entertain 14 year olds. Um, and I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I just knew that I had to do something that was more sort of mission driven, more purpose oriented. And what I kept coming back to was this idea that the internet was, you know, about to accelerate in its transition away from sort of a text and image-based medium into, you know, essentially a video network. Mm -hmm. And having come from an entertainment background, I knew just how hard it was to make sort of compelling, you know, video communications. And so I felt like that was going to be something that was going to create, you know, basically like create a friction in all communications online. Um, and I was enough of an engineer to believe that technology had to play a big role in solving it. But I knew that it couldn't be just technology, uh, that, that there had to be this sort of interplay between, you know, tech enablement, tech empowerment, but also human creativity. And, and that all of a sudden, like, kind of crystallized. And I'm like, all right, well, this is actually really interesting. Like, if I could build that platform, 
than in an era where AI, automation, globalization, all these things that are sort of negative labor forces, you know, here's an area, a small area, it's actually going to be a positive area for, 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 you know, labor growth. Uh, and if it was, you know, my or our platform, we can sort of set the rules in such a way that the jobs that were created would actually be good jobs. Um, and that seemed just like a really worthy mission, you know, like, mm. like and so I remember in that like first V you know, slide for, to VCs, like it was literally just, we're going to create a million quality jobs. Um, and, you know, that sort of set me down a path that, you know, ultimately has become a much more purpose-driven business than I ever imagined. Uh, and, you know, looking back on it and even the, the darkest periods, um, it was all, you know, worth it. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of am constantly encouraging entrepreneurs to like, um, you know, really kind of um, enjoy <laughs> the challenge because it's sort of in that like, you know, crucible that like, you know, character is forged and you sort of end up you know, ultimately, I think, getting it out of a better place. That's powerful. And I, I love, I love the, the story for how you became more, even more purpose-driven, even more mission-driven as you continue to build and grow FitMob. And today we're talking about this, this, this concept of, uh, of artificial intelligence and where the world is going. And you, you talked about that, that first line in your VC pitch back in the day, uh, hundreds of millions of jobs over around the world, potentially at risk as AI advances, right? Um, how, first of all, can, can you describe, I guess, what, what, what's, what's, it, what's happening when we talk about an accelerating world of automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning? What is, what, what's the significance? Can you paint the picture for where, where do you see the world going? And then maybe specifically using the example of what you're doing and building at VidMob, how do you see leaders leading in a world like this and people succeeding in a world like this? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question. And I think that um, there's a lot of different um, things to keep in mind as you think through it. So, cause, cause I think, you know, AI and its impact is going to be, is going to vary really differently depending upon which segment of the economy we're looking at. Hmm. Um, there's a, a sort of a, a, a scholar, uh, there's a former, you know, Google, uh, you know, employee named Kai-Fu Lee, who, who, um, published, uh, I remember, uh, sort of like a four quadrant look at sort of how AI was going to impact different areas of the economy. And he had on the two axes was, you know, sort of creativity and empathy. And so if you think, imagine sort of in your head, like the lower left corner would be sort of low empathy, low creativity. And in the higher right, the upper right corner, you have, you know, higher creativity, higher empathy. Each of those segments are going to be impacted differently. And so uh, maybe like a, a low empathy, low creativity job might be like a, you know, long haul truck driver or, you know, something like that. Um, that's going to be, you know, probably the, his theory was that that segment is going to be one of the first to be impacted. And then you have this sort of high empathy, low creativity, and maybe that's like, you know, a nurse practitioner, you know, th you know things like that, where, you know, there's going to be enormous continued need for human work, but there'll be sort of AI assisted. Um, and in that upper right quadrant, the sort of, you know, high empathy, high creativity jobs, those are the areas that are going to be sort of most insulated from, you know, from the impact of AI. And, you know, I think the thing that we always sort of think about, you know, here at, at VidMob and in our industry is this, this idea of like the sort of like the common misconception around AI and this idea that like 
everyone sort of assumes that over time, AI is going to take our jobs. And the reality is that that's, that's wrong. But someone who uses AI better than you will. <laughs> and, right. and that's the thing, right? And so that then Darren kind of creates, I think, the opportunity for, for us as a company, which is how do we believe in technology? How do we utilize technology? Uh, how do we build technology, but do so for the stated purpose of empowering people to either be better or do more interesting things or be more effective in their jobs? And, and that's something that's actually really exciting. Um, and it, and it's something that, you know, I think we can all like feel really good about. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, how we think about it here at Bitmob. That is a quotable Alex AI, AI may not take your job, but someone who's better at using it certainly can and will. Um, so as, as leaders think through the implications of that, right. So there, there is that there's this undeniable, um, accelerating prevalence of, um, technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence, automation, all the above. Right. Um, and so the challenge becomes, how do you, how do we, how do we keep pace with this accelerating pace? Um, it's almost exponential growth at a certain point as it, as it continues to build on itself. How, how do, how do our organizations keep pace with that? And specifically, how do we, how do we put people in a position to win in this new world? And so maybe you can speak to that um, some, and specifically, maybe even you can use VidMob as a microcosm for how you're approaching approaching that. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I think like um, at some level, it's kind of this idea of sort of like skating to where the puck's going to be. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that we you know sort of talk about and think a lot about here is like how do you get to the right sort of plane of thought about what progress is going to look like in the coming, you know, five or 10 years. Cause I think that like, as a species, we tend to think that like all progress is all like linear. And so if you think about what's going to happen in the next 10 years, it's sort of logical to think, well, all right, well, what happened in the previous 10 years? And I'll just sort of extrapolate that forward. But as it relates to anything that's sort of touching technology and you know, certainly AI and machine learning are you know, touching it very hard, um, they're all on exponential curves. And so whatever we've seen happen in the past 10 years, well, what's gonna happen in the next 10 years is like 100X, 1000X that. Um, and so like, just like from a just expectation perspective, we're not very good at anticipating exponential development. And so that's one of the things that we sort of think about a lot. So it's like, all right, well, if we can sort of force our plane of thought into, you know, um, expecting exponential growth in the capabilities of, you know, machine learning and, uh, and AI, then what will be possible five years from now that's not possible today? Um, and what types of data should we, you know, be trying to kind of build systems to aggregate, even if they're maybe not valuable today or, or you know, not valuable in the way we want them to be? Uh, and so a big part of our of what we are doing is like trying to construct that system to, um, you know, basically build a machine that sets us up towards an exponentially, you know, developed future. Interesting. So let's use let's use um, video as 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 the example. So as as you think about like, there's all kinds of incredible tools now that probably help automate editing and. 
um, get videos ready for production that used to be a very manually intensive effort, right? How do you see, and that's only going to, the, the, the technological capabilities of that automation and how smart those tools get are only gonna, they're only gonna uh, enrich over time, right? Where are you uh, equipping, I guess, and positioning your people, your team to succeed as those, as that technology continues to get better and better? Like what, what, what's the role of the human and, and, and what's the role of the leader in positioning the upskilling, if you will, um, for, for the workforce? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, and I think that that's sort of, uh, this is actually like an area that has been, um, yeah, probably like the root for why Bitmob has become an, as interesting a company as it is, is because we've been sort of willing to like intersect human services and pure tech you know, solutions. Whereas I think most of the companies that you tend to see coming out of like traditional kind of venture backed routes tend to look for just like sort of pure software solutions, um, you know, for all the many reasons that, you know, 30, 40 years of you know, venture history have, have proven to be beneficial. You know, like when you're looking to do, you know, your taxes or deal with, you know, you know, enterprise, you know, procurement or, you know, sort of sales analytics or any of these things like, you know, like in almost all cases, having a piece of software that will do the exact same thing infinitely and at zero marginal cost um, and be you know, perfectly repeatable in every time, like that's a good thing. But when we think about communications and specifically like marketing communications, the sole and only point of communications is to put forward some unique and emotionally resonant touch point for either you as an individual or for your brand or for your company. And so if that's the case, then the idea of like an infinitely repeatable, perfectly scalable thing that does the same thing every time is like literally the last thing that I would want. Touché. And so for us, like, I think there was this initial recognition that that, that was true. Um, and, and then as you know, kind of with that, this idea that like human creativity was not like a, an affliction. It, it's not like a disease that we need to <laughs> cure for, you know, this was something that was actually like the solution, you know, like, and so we were willing to kind of look at it and say, all right, well, how do we support that endeavor? How do we build technology that actually like appreciates the uniqueness and struggle of that human creative enterprise? But then like, will assist and make it more intelligent. You know, how do we bring data into that, that process so you can actually make better decisions faster? Um, and, you know, what are the parts of that process where technology can actually do work that, you know, humans don't want to do or can't do well? Uh, so, you know, something like taking a, you know, uh, a 30-second commercial or 15-second, just think of like any piece of video of length. The idea of going through and sort of, tagging or chronicling everything that's happened you know which direction are the actors and actresses looking where and when are logos you know coming on, on screen is it this spring's logo or the falls what's the contrast between the the logo itself and the background what's the pacing of the editing what's the emotion that the actors and actresses are exhibiting what's the pacing of the language that's being spoken what words are on screen like all this stuff could be done by people <laughs> but it's pretty boring work and you could do it in an instant with a computer. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like there are certain things that, that we, we can you know, replace. And then that data, that information actually is really useful. 
Hmm. And when we compare that to how people actually like respond, like which ads are they per, you know, purchasing from, which are they clicking through and skipping, you can actually get to really interesting data that could help a human make a decision about something that they may or may not want to do creatively. And so I think like for us, you know, a big part of this has been like just being willing to th- you know, think critically about what are things that people are, are still very much better at. And then embrace that, you know, just like make that part of our job, which is like, how do we, how do we build an an army of, uh, you know, highly trained, highly skilled people and then set them up to, to make a a ton of money, um, you know, on their, on their, you know, um, on their own terms, um, and not view that as like somehow like a piece of friction that needs to be removed, but actually view that as kind of like the point of what we do. That's, that's amazing. And uh, as you're, as you're talking about your industry, I'm thinking of parallels and all sorts of other industries where I know leaders listening now can, can be looking at their own work and be saying, Hey, yeah, if I look out five, 10, definitely 20 years from now, there are so many different parts of our different job functions across our enterprise, across our organization that can likely be automated or done by some sort of machine, artificial intelligence, right? And so the challenge then becomes, how are you embracing? I love the way you said before, it's almost like you're, you're embracing the uniquely human element. And what does that look like inside of your industry, inside of your organization to embrace the uniquely human element and, and see it as the, as a strength that can actually be accentuated by technology as it continues to grow and accelerate. Yeah, and then I think you can sort of like build a culture around that process, you know, which is which is sort of like, you know, like we, we you know, really sort of talk about embracing this, this concept of, you know, every day trying to figure out how to, you know, essentially like remove our own jobs um, and, you know, doing so with the full knowledge that then that'll position us to tomorrow do something that's even more strategic, even more valuable on top of that. Um and, you know, I think it's one of these things where like at first it seems kind of daunting and potentially scary. And then after you do it, you know, one or two times, you start to realize, oh, hey, this is actually like, first of all, I can see my own career developing uh, and I'm becoming a much more valuable, you know, you know, employee or, or executive. Um, but it's also fun uh, because you sort of, you know, you're advancing into you know, new and uncharted territories. And, you know, for us, uh, we sort of see it in just larger and larger client impact, um, you know, which, which, you know, we obviously get pretty excited about. That is, that is so good. I love that concept. Want to, want to underscore it, embracing the idea of removing the need for your own job as it is today. And I've heard this impacted me early in my career. One of the um, senior executives in my company told me, he said, Blake, you know, I, I know I'm doing my job well when I make myself replaceable. And he's talking about the way he's equipping people around him, the way he's using tools and just making the need for himself less, right? And what happens, the irony of that though, is that each time, you, each time that happens, you do that successfully, you increase the value you're bringing to the organization and to the mission that you're on, let's say at even a higher level, you're, you're, you're stepping up the value chain every time. And even from a career advancement perspective, that bodes well for you as well too. Every time, every time you can figure out to way, ways to use resources, technology, equip people behind you to make yourself less relevant in that role. It sounds counterintuitive. It sounds scary to be doing that, but that's that's really where you're delivering the highest value 
both to the, the company, to the organization, but also to the mission that you're on, allowing yourself to focus on even higher value work and get higher value opportunities um, inside your organization as well too. So that's a really good point. I just want to underscore there. Before we uh, move into some closing questions, I have to ask, I know you guys spend a lot of time, Alex, on culture. And um, I love that this is a part of your culture where you're embracing the human element. You're embracing how can, how can we best utilize technology to replace what we're doing for maybe even the majority of our jobs right now. Talk to me more about um, how you're creating a place where people feel uh, that they're being invested in, that they're being challenged, that uh, they have a sense of connection, they have a sense of belonging. What, what sort of things are you doing at VidMob to be intentional about um, culture building? <clears throat> Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, you know, and I think it's all, you know, even harder, you know, today uh, at, in a time of, you know, sort of COVID, post-COVID, mid-COVID, <laughs> wherever we are yes. in, in that. <laughs> um, but, you know, like you have to sort of think about how you sort of scale culture in an era where we're not necessarily going to be around each other, you know, all the time. Um, I think the, the good thing for us is that um, as, a, as a team, we've been <laughs> you know, incredibly focused on, on culture, uh, from, from the beginning, you know, like to me, I think like one of my, you know, biggest goals from the be you know, people sort of ask me like, what's your goal with Vimob? And, and I think they sort of expect the answer to be, oh, we're going to build a billion dollar, you know, a unicorn or a decacorn or whatever the, the various corns are. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I just like, those things have never really been my, my goal. You know, like, I think that for me, it was always, you know, I want to build a, a purposeful company that, that, you know, can sort of help sort of be a model for what a, a shareholder driven, you know, corporation looks like, not just a stakeholder driven company. And, and really specifically, my hope always was that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, whenever like all of our employees are, you know, are looking back over the span of their careers, the overwhelming majority of them would look back and be like, that was the best job I ever had. Um, and so, you know, when you start there, then it sort of changes and impacts like how you think about everything. And so, you know, like there, I work with people on our team, you know, every day, uh, literally every day. And, and, we're, and we're, you know, talking about like, how do we, how do we get better? How, you know, how do we invest more in our people? Uh, and, and so, you know, what that means, you know, you know, tactically at the, at the you know, at, at this sort of day-to-day -day level, um, I think we've, we've built a culture where people um, really sort of care and are invested in the growth of everyone around them. You know, we have this idea that, um, I have always started to think of it like the, I, I enjoyed my physics classes as a, uh, as a, uh, as an engineer in college and have read a bunch of you know, books after the, after that and on, on the topic. And I, for whatever reason, I, I think of it as like this, like expanding universe theory, this yes. idea that like, it's actually not about the sort of end bounds of the universe that are growing. It's actually every point in space is growing simultaneously. And when you do that, you have kind of the exponential expansion of the outer bounds. And so to me, that's actually how I think about like what's happening here, or, or at least in a well-constructed, um, well-operationalized company. Every employee should be growing individually every day. Uh, and in doing that, we sort of push out the bounds of our product and, 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 and the overall value of the, of, of the company. Um, and so, 
you know, like that's the, you know, the first thing here is like, just like looking for people that buy into that, you know, like, you know, like, and, and, you know, it's, we're very purposeful in, in who we hire. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure very cliched, but you know, <laughs> you know, this is sort of a, a no assholes thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we, we have very carefully fostered a reputation in the, in the industry with our partners and clients for, um, you know, just having kind of a certain kind of person. Um, and, and, you know, over time that just becomes like, everyone wants to live up to that. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, you know, people are sort of known for that. I want to, you know, live up to that. Um, and, and, and then it becomes its, its own, you know, thing. Right. And now we, I think had, you know, like that original mission orientation that, that was, you know, kind of small and, and, you know, sort of malformed in a sense, like this idea of like just creating a million quality jobs. Like it, we realized quickly that like that just like purely qualitative goal, quantitative goal was not enough. Um, but, it, but it pushed us on a mission driven path and that sort of influenced the original people that came. And then we realized that, you know, actually it could be more, you know, like this could be about building something that was more than a company. And so, you know, in 2017, you know, long before, like, you know, like we, we, we founded a foundation when, you know, we were like a 30 person company. <laughs> it, awesome. it sounds kind of ridiculous, but, but, but we sort of realized that we needed to be more than just a company. Um, and so for, you know, four years since then, you know, we've been basically taking all the software, all the services, everything that we build and, and use for our for-profit customers and using that to make free um, communications for, you know, charities all over the world. You know, so today we've worked with like literally hundreds of charities. We kind of map up against the 17 US UN sustainable development goals. And I think more than 80% of our staff in any, in any given quarter engage in some of the VidMob gives, you know, work that comes through there. What, a, so, what a cool legacy. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so what it's done is it's just like the, the more of this, the more giving and the more purpose we get into the company, like the better people it attracts, the better people it retains. And then the more we want to live up to, you know, that, that reputation. And it becomes, you know, kind of like a, a snowball that like you can't stop and, and you wouldn't want to stop it anyway. That's, that's amazing. And so I, so back in 2017, we had around, you said 30 employees and to date, wh wh where are you at now? We're, we're at, um, I think 250 now we'll probably wow. be around 300 people. And we started, wow. we started this year at 130. So it, you know, like just, just, just this year alone, we'll add, you know, close to 200 people. As you're scaling like that, Alex, talk to me about what does it look like to be equipping leaders, even from within to, I love this concept of the, the, the physics approach to growing, growing from within, pushing the outer bounds. What does it look like to equip uh, leaders to step up to greater responsibility, whether that's leading new teams, whether that's just enhanced kind of uh, overview and, and authority responsibility? What does that look like to go from 30 to now pushing 300 um, over that short period of time and especially doubling over the last year? How does, how does, how does that work? How do you do that? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, at some level, it's kind of part, you know, like, um, you know, culture of you know, accepting, like we sort of understand that, you know, failure is inevitable, you know, like we're, we're all going to do things, you know, wrong all the time. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't mean like, it, like I, I don't think we should be celebrating failure, right? but like we certainly, you know, uh, you know, we, we should expect it. And when, and when it happens, you know, sort of analyze it and figure out how to, how to, so, so I think like there's a part that's like just getting 
pe- people, everyone, all of us, comfortable with that fact that we can do things we're not comfortable with um, because if and when we fail, it'll be okay. You know, like, like well, other people in the organization will, will help us figure out what went wrong. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get better and hopefully we won't fail again the second time. So I think there's like first that just like sort of, you know, getting people comfortable, confident, you know, like willing to push themselves into areas that they're not, not, um, they don't feel like they're ready for just then. Um, and then, you know, sort of second, I think is making that an expectation. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, we, we all to get to where we want to be, we're going to have to push ourselves outside of the bounds of comfort. Um, we're going to have to tomorrow be better than we are today. Um, and so, you know, there's a, I don't know if that's hunger or ambition or curiosity, but there's different forces that sort of push us forward in, in that, in that path. Um, you know, and then I think like celebrating and, and, you know, like, you know, we have a, like a thank thanks channel in, in Slack, you know, nice. where, where like people are constantly just like lighting up about, Hey, so-and-so did this today or so-and-so did that. And, you know, like there is, you know, as much as we we're going to sort of discuss and talk about, you know, failure, we're going to absolutely you know, talk about all the many things that, that go well, like whenever you know, a client is, you know, sends some sort of you know, incredible feedback or like, you know, like they sort of, um, I think, try and like practice this policy of, um, you know, like sort of heaping praise and, and hoarding blame. Um, you know, like I think all these things together, you know, just create like a, um, an engine for, you know, for growth. That's very cool. And I, yeah, I like the way you tied all those things together. One of the questions that we like to ask each of our guests, and you've already hit a lot on purpose, but I'm going to give you a chance if there's anything else like from a personal perspective to ask you, what is your why? So what is it that kind of personally drives and motivates you and your leadership? I think it really is. Um, I, I sort of think of myself as like a, a servant to the people who decided to work here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, my sort of view on things is that if we're doing our job right, um, every person we hire here should be able to work pretty much anywhere else that they <laughs> that they might want to. That's great. And so, you know, if if you believe that, then you know everyone that's here has sort of chosen to be here over many other places that they could have been, uh, and you know maybe making you know more money elsewhere, you know, et cetera. So that comes with just like a huge responsibility, right? Like if someone's choosing you, choosing us, um, how do we, you know, reward them and, and sort of own that responsibility that, that they've given us? So, you know, for me, the why is kind of what I touched on before. It's just like, you know, how do I really sort of take um, responsibility for the growth of all the people here and live up to that ideal of just, you know, of this being, you know, the best part of, you know, all of our employees, you know, hopefully very long careers. I, I love that. And when you, when you talked about that concept of long careers and being able to look back at this season and say, Hey, this is my favorite job ever. And it's my favorite, favorite time in the working world ever. That's uh that's, that's a powerful, that's a powerful legacy. And we just had Casey Graham on the show from gravy and he talks about owner's intent or a, a leader's intent. And his was, I want my adult children to one day be able be proud to work for my company to work for this organization. And I look at this as a very similar, very similar approach to how are you looking out and saying, Hey, what, what would I be happy with in the future? And it's, I want people to look back on this time and say, 
This was the best time of my working career was, was the time I spent at MedMob. Can you think of a way, I'm sure there are many, but if you had to choose one way that you've grown as a leader, what would that be? I think the, so, you know, we, we actually had a, a fireside chat earlier today with, with one of our uh, board members, a, a woman named Pinky Mayfield, who's the chief communications officer at, at Graham Holdings, and it's just a pretty incredible person. One of the things we were discussing was, uh, and it's, I think, how I've grown the most, um, was just like getting really comfortable with um, sort of who I am and, 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 and being willing to be that same exact person all the time. It doesn't matter like whether I'm with one of our board members, uh, a current investor, a future investor, my wife, my kids, a cab driver, the doorman down below, you know, the guy who's making a sandwich, you know, in the deli underneath, like literally the exact same person in every case. Um, and when, when you sort of get there, get to that place, then everything, th things, things get like so easy uh, because you don't have to keep track of anything. It's just like, it's just literally, you know, you are who you are. It's okay. Um, you know, and, and I think like, getting really comfortable in that it, it, it probably comes with age you know comes with experience um but i've found that you know like because the, the reality is as the ceo now of a you know a, a company that's growing pretty rapidly and has you know offices all over the world your day gets pretty busy and uh so if you can simplify things and make things easier it's like you know game changing um and that's probably been the biggest unlock for me that's Powerful. And like you said, it makes it easier on you when you're not trying to be somebody else in different contexts, but also it, it, it allows people to connect with you for you. And it, 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 it gives you actually more, more influence and more authority, um, because you're being true to who you are. So that's, I can totally resonate with that. Here's a fun one for you. If you could sit down and have lunch with any leader past or present, who would that be? Yvonne Chouinard, uh, the founder of Patagonia. Um, ah, nice. I, I, I read his book years ago, uh, let my people surf. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it just really resonated with me. Like I, I thought like his, his ability to have kind of a very long and sort of purposeful vision, you know, sort of a multi, you know, multi-decade, multi-century, you know, sort of vision for, for what he wanted to build. Um, I just think it's so counter to how almost all other companies are, are built and constructed. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, I think he'd be sort of pretty high on the list. I think that's a great one. He's totally inspiring. Uh, last question for you is what's, do you, do you have a personal BHAG, a personal big, hairy, audacious goal that you're going after these days? Well, so I, I did have one until two weeks ago. Um, you get I, it? Uh, I, I, um, so we decided earlier this year through VidMob gives, to kind of pair up with a, uh, a, a charity in, in Northern Arizona that uses horses to uh, basically provide therapy to soldiers with PTSD. Amazing. And so to raise money for this charity, uh, me, uh, the guy who runs Vidmob Gives, Burr Purnell, and uh, actually a guy we just hired who was Facebook's, uh, had a partnership for the Americas uh, and is now gonna be our head of corporate development, Scott Hannon we agreed to run in a 50 mile race, um, against horses. 
And so, yeah, so for, you know, basically the last you know, six or seven months, I've been sort of training for this ultra marathon and it was, you know, in, essentially in the desert in Northern Arizona, and it covered close to 8,000 feet of vertical climb. And, uh, and we did it and we beat a bunch of horses and we donated a bunch of money. Oh my yeah. goodness. So just to clarify, you each were running 50 miles in the desert. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't a shared rate. This nope. was 50 miles free. That is nope. unbelievable. Yeah. Quite yeah. a BHAG. Now, now you got to have a new one. How, how are you going to one-up that? I don't know. Well, that's, that's the problem is that <laughs> um, I think I was so well-trained and I had, you know, Bird put together this really strong nutrition plan that when, when we crossed the finish line, I felt really good. I felt really strong. And so now I was actually hoping that when I crossed the finish line, I'd be like, oh man, that was the, mo the most I could ever do. Never doing that again. But now, um, you know, if I was looking for the limit, I didn't find it. Um, and, uh, you got so the edge. I, I can tell in the back of my head, I'm sort of like, all right, well, you know what, uh, so, uh, we'll have to check back later for a new and revised BHAG. <laughs> That's cool. I want to, I want to hear the next one. So, uh, before I let you go, Alex, where could our audience find you? Where's the best place to look you up? I'm on uh, Twitter at, uh, Colmerica. Um, nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I was a big Colbert fan when he, <laughs> nice. but, um, but yeah, so, um, at Colmerica on, on Twitter, um, I, I write a lot on VidMob's blog and, and on my LinkedIn you know, channel. Um, and, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey, this has been such a fun episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for making the time. Can't wait to see what you continue to drive the impact, the purpose that you continue to drive going forward. Yeah, Blake, I, I really appreciate it. It's um, I, I love the, the podcast, love the topic, and uh, thank you for doing the work you do, and thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Take care. How strong is your company's leadership bench? Do you feel like you have people equipped to step into the roles of responsibility that you need them to step into as your company grows? This is exactly what we do at CoThrive. I work with companies large and small to help them develop exceptional leaders. And we do this in a way that creates camaraderie and deeper connection to your company, all for a fraction of the cost of less effective alternatives. If you're interested in learning more, just find me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. As always, guys, keep leading on purpose.